to Unbroken Podcast. I'm Alexandra Amor, author, coach, and a lifelong explorer of what it means to be human. This is the podcast where my guests and I explore the inside-out nature of life and the psychological paradigm called the Three Principles. We explore the positive effect this can have on every aspect of our lives, including resolving things like unwanted habits, anxiety, trauma, depression, and more. You'll find episode show notes, transcriptions, your complimentary Freedom from Overeating Starter Kit, and lots more at unbrokenpodcast.com. And now, here's the show. Dick and Badinger, welcome to Unbroken. It's great to be here with you, Alexander. Thanks for inviting me. My pleasure. So why don't you give us a little bit of your background and tell us how you came to discover the three principles. I'd be glad to. (laughs) I was, I started my career as a high school English teacher. And I was very young and I looked younger than the high school students I was teaching. And uh, pretty soon I had more kids coming to me to talk about their problems than the guidance counselors did. Oh, wow. Yeah, the head of the guidance counselors came and talked to me and said, what are you doing? (laughs) (laughs) And uh, so it started my passion and curiosity about what can I learn that I can share with people that would help them have an easier time of life? And it began a many, many year-long year quest uh, to explore what people were teaching about well-being. And so I taught for six years, and then I left to get my doctorate in counseling psychology, and and I became a licensed psychologist. And I had been working for 10 years, focusing my whole career on well-being rather than the medical model which proclaimed people as having illnesses. And in education, it's my degrees were in education, even my doctorate, counseling, psychology, and the education department. The philosophy is very kind. If any human being is struggling and having difficulty, number one, it's not their fault. Number two, they just haven't learned what they need to learn to have an easier time of things. So it put us all, everybody in the world, in the category of being students. And there's no end to what we can learn, and there's no end to what we can learn about being happier and healthier and psychologically. And so I studied people that were interested in that, and um, I had been a psychologist for 10 years, working very successful private group practice in Vermont, And I came across a book, uh, and it was the very first book published that was trying to apply the work of a man named Sidney Banks, who had an enlightenment experience and discovered the foundational principles that could explain all human psychological experience what creates them, the forces in life that are creative. And he experienced those directly in his enlightenment experience. And then, so a Dr. Roger Mills, who had been an astrophysicist and spoke Chinese and was working in public health, uh, began to do a research study on what can help people become healthy and where do they learn it? If people have become healthy, where did did they learn it? And somebody told him about Sid Banks and he went to listen to him and meet him. And 
he was deeply affected and changed as a result of learning the what Sid Banks called the three fundamental principles, mind, consciousness, and thought. And so we wrote a book trying his best to bring it into the field of psychology. And I found the book in a bookstore and got halfway through it, and I was affected just reading it. And I looked at the end of the book, and there was a phone number, and I called, and found out about their programs, went for my first training, started hearing about these principles. And I had th maybe three insights during a week of training that changed my whole way of understanding my own experience and how, and I, and parenting went from a challenging, complicated issue to being really fun and simple and, and more effective. Mm. And then I was hooked. I was hooked, Alexandra. So that's that's how I got into this. Yeah, so many things in there that are so interesting to me. One is that you were interested in well-being out of the gate, it sounds like, yeah. you know, even when you were pursuing psychological degrees without this specific understanding. That's fascinating to me. Well, I was teaching, I, I was uh as a young boy, I came across meditation and played around with it. And then as I grew older, I started reading meditation teachers' writings and then spiritual teachers. And they're always talking about well-being. Mm. And then I started finding people in the field of psychology. All of my first teachers were friends of Carl Rogers, who spoke about well-being early on, Abram Maslow. So there were people in psychology that were getting interested in well-being and studying it. And I, that's, they became my teachers. Mm. Nice. And if the kids this is the other thing that struck me. If the kids you were teaching were coming to you for advice before you'd even started on your, yeah. on your journey of um, psychological education, there must've been something back then, even when you were a young teacher. Yeah. I, I would teach communication skills mm. and I studied them and enjoyed them and, uh, it was very helpful uh, for kids to learn some skills that could help them communicate more effectively with whoever they were having difficulty with, whether it was a parent or a girlfriend or a boyfriend or a brother or a sister. Um, and so then I just started reading voraciously anybody anywhere that s said i've learned some things that can help people have an easier time mm. and that became my my ongoing passion nice oh i love that what was the name of the roger mills book before i forget do you remember uh, it's, it's out of print it's oh it called, is it okay called, yeah because it was the very first attempt to even talk about these principles. And Roger talked about four principles, and only one of them was one of the three principles. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, so, uh, but even still, there was something in there about the way he talked about we're thinkers. Very few people know that we think up our experience of life. Whatever we think, we'll feel. You, anyone can become aware of, since we're conscious beings, we can become aware of the fact that we think. And if we become aware of the fact that it's our own thoughts, if you think sad, you feel sad. If you think stress, you feel stress. If you think angry, you feel angry. 
if your head clears of everything you're thinking is built into us to feel good. So Roger, by emphasizing those two things in the book, we're thinkers and we think up our own experience and can wake up out of thinking and drop thinking that's not helpful. And we, when our head clears, every human being starts to experience well-being and is built into us. No one in psychology was saying those two things. No one. That 100% of our experience comes from our own thinking. There were 450 different theories in psychology when I met Sid. And he said, this isn't a theory. This is actual truth. There's a power that creates our thinking and whatever we think we'll feel. And that's scientific. It's truthful. It's always true. It's always been true. And nobody knows it. Because if you ask people, what are you feeling? You'll hear all kinds of feelings. That's normal. And then you say, well, where do you think that feeling is coming from? And they won't point toward the creative power of thought. They'll point toward something in the world they think is causing them to feel that way. My past, my personality, this person, this person is making me upset. This situation is stressing me out. And the whole field of psychology was buying into the outside-in way of looking at life. The world causes us to feel the way we do. And Sid says, that's not true. It's not scientific. And oh my gosh, that... When I started seeing my anxiety is not caused by my biochemistry or by my personality or by my genetics or from my upbringing, it's created in this moment by the way I'm caught up in my own anxious thinking. That was my very first insight. And I dropped what I was thinking completely and the anxiety went away. And then he says, any human being, when they completely fall out of their thinking, will feel better because it's built into us to feel good. I said, I'm not taking your word for it. I got to see if that's true. And I let go of everything I was thinking. Just like when I meditate, when my mind quieted down, I just felt more alive, more connected. And I'm going, it can't be this easy. <laughs> and that's why I went to my first training because I was a skeptic and I, I had all so many questions. <laughs> <laughs> they all got answered in the first day. <laughs> Oh, that's lovely. <laughs> <laughs> and then then it was all all I knew was if I'm feeling tension, stress, or upset, it's thought, so let it go. And when my mind quiets down, I feel good and will have all the common sense I need to deal with whatever's going on in my life. Mm -hmm. That's all I knew. That's all I taught for the first two years after I learned this. I had to start all over again with my clients. <laughs> but people liked it because it was helping them immediately, and it was simple, mm -hmm. and it was true. It was true. It's not fantasy. Mm -hmm. It's not theory. It's not theory. Everybody is walking around feeling whatever they're thinking, and most people don't know that. And everybody already has innate well-being, but people haven't been taught that. We're spiritual beings, which means formless energy and now the scientists are saying 96% of our universe, our universe, is formless energy. Mm. So 96% so of who we really are is formless, and only 4% is the content of what we're thinking and feeling. So Sid would say, pay no attention to the content of your thinking, feeling, or behavior. It's too late. It's already been created quiet down and look toward or in the direction of what's doing the creating. Out of that quiet, out of which everything arises. That's where you'll find your well-being. <laughs> I can't tell you, it was, a, it was for me a revolution. Yes. And I, I could then share this with any human being, and it would be helpful. Mm -hmm. So I worked with people 
homeless people. I worked with people in jails. I worked, I spent 16 years working in multi-billion dollar companies <clears throat> doing executive trainings, leadership trainings. And I could tell them we now have a science that helps us understand states of mind. And we can show you how the state of mind you're in is the most important determinant on how well, how productive you are, how well you think, how wisely you're using your mind, how well you get along with other people, how well you communicate, how well you make decisions. It's all 100% tied into the state of mind you're in at the time. And if you learn things that help you, to have less stress and less thought clutter and you have more clarity, guaranteed you're going to enjoy work more, you're going to be more creative, more productive, better able to solve problems. And we got results working in businesses. So, uh, And we got results working. I, I had colleagues all over the country working in jails and in low-income housing communities and um, people facing all kinds of life challenges and it was helpful, simple and true and helpful. And when you talk about looking toward that, which is creating our experience, or you said it so beautifully, but looking away from the content of our thinking and looking more toward what's doing the creating. Do you have, in other words, dropping our thinking, do you have practices that you do to do that? It probably comes pretty naturally to you now, but. I've taught hundreds of kids how to ride bikes. Mm -hmm. There's no practice. Mm. But they have to learn how to find balance. Right. And they could go to the library and read every book on balance and they wouldn't understand it better. Mm -hmm. So an intellectual understanding does not help people do what's so normal and so natural. Like, for example, every night at some point, with some exceptions, but people fall asleep at some point. And in order to fall asleep, you have to let go of everything you're thinking. There are no techniques that, there are techniques, but you don't need any techniques to fall asleep. You just let go of it. Even You don't even have to be able to explain it. I, I tried to explain to somebody how I fall asleep. I couldn't. My doctorate didn't help me <laughs> explain. And even if I told them scientific facts, that wouldn't help them. Necessarily, I mean, if they had an insight, it would help them. But um, so Sid would give us hints. Mm. My he wouldn't give us techniques. He'd say, you can't think your way to the present moment. No one can. That's impossible. It's only in the present moment that you can find access well-being. You won't find it while you're thinking about yourself or about life. Most people spend their day looking at things in their life and thinking about them, or looking at people and thinking about them, or looking at ourselves and thinking about ourselves. He says, only in the present moment. Now, when people are present, worth, how far away are we ever from the present moment? It's all, all that exists. It's just waking up to it. There is no future. That's imagination. That's thinking. That's imagining something that no one can figure out the future. The past is just memory. What's memory? That's thought. There is no past. It's just memory. At times it gets played out and people's memories can be different and can change and can evolve. Can They're flexible. That's scientific. How far away is the present moment? We're one thought away from being present. 
I've worked with people who say, I can't be present. I say, okay, listen to me and I'll tell you the secret. And they go, okay. <laughs> and they become immediately present. I say, you just did it. I thought you said it was really hard. How did you do it? If I follow any person around, any person, I could point out to them hundreds of times during the day when they get present. Because you can't walk across a room without getting present. You can't drive a car without getting present. Right? You can't say hello to a person without getting present. If you're continually thinking you're not there, you're not there to live your life. But very few adults that I've met, and it's innocent, very innocent. They just haven't learned that what we're feeling in the moment is created by thoughts we're caught up in and thinking and that we're the thinker. Very few adults know that every bit of their tension, stress, and upset comes from one thing and one thing only, believing what you're thinking, paying attention to it, not being present and caught up in your thinking. So Sid would give hints like, you, you only find this in the now. You're a thought away from the now, so it's no big deal. It's not something you can do. It's something that you are when you stop doing. Searching won't get you there because searching is thinking. Trying won't get you there because trying is thinking that creates stress. Creates tension. I'm trying. I'm trying. I used to try to not think, try to be present. Try. Oh, my gosh, it was just more thinking. And the paradox is... I can't think my way there. So then all of a sudden, I had an insight. Oh, I, I don't have to think to get there. And being present is just natural. It's normal. We're born that way. I can at any moment, by being present, no longer pay attention to anything I'm thinking. So I could have the thought I'm stupid or I don't know how to do something, or I hate this person. And if I'm present, I'm not paying attention to those thoughts. They're just flowing through me. So it doesn't matter if I have 10,000 thoughts, I'm present. I can have no thoughts, I'm present. I can have one thought and think about it and not be present. <laughs> so he'd give hints like this, or he'd say, okay, Drop everything you're thinking that's creating your tension, stress, or upset. Just be here. And there's a quiet that's always here when you're not listening to the noise your thinking makes. Blah, 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 blah. Talk to my hand. <laughs> I'm not listening. I'm just present. And now I'm looking out the window. When I'm present, my wife could tell when I was thinking and when I was present. And you can't love people when you're thinking. Mm. You can't be happy while you're thinking. You can't have peace of mind while you're thinking. It's only when we're present can we find peace of mind. Can we find deeper feelings of well-being that we can then extend to other people? Happiness is free. It's You can't buy it. You can't buy it with money. You can't buy it by buying toys and cars and things because it's already there within us. In a quiet mind, people feel more alive, more present, more connected. Our senses come alive. That's what happiness is. Right? So then if you have a deep, deeper feeling of well-being and you bring it to it. another person, that's what love is. So we have built into us everything we need to live a peaceful, happy, loving life. I still get stressed. I still get upset. But if it is an invitation to become present, it doesn't mean anything. I don't have to think about it. It's just an opportunity. It's like an alarm clock going off all day long to wake me back up to being present. 
So then I can think about things if it's helpful. But as soon as it's creating any degree of tension, which you get very sensitive to, it's time to let wisdom take over. You, you, you get out of, we get out of balance if we overthink and try to use our computer mind for everything. It's like a teenager who's constantly on their phone. We know that their mental health is going to go downhill. And any human being that's constantly thinking, thinking, thinking is going to go downhill. Anxiety, depression, worry, upset, problems, all kinds of that gives birth to all kinds of psychological problems, but there's really only one problem. By holding thought, we block the natural flow of love and wisdom. And anybody can wake up to the now and begin to be an open channel for the flow of life, life energy flowing through us, feels good. When we were preparing for this call, I sent you a mention of a story I heard you tell years ago about speaking mm -hmm. of teenagers about your daughter. Could you do you you know what I'm referring to? I do. Okay. I haven't thought of that for a long time. It was so fun remembering that uh that story. Um, I'm learning the principles. My daughter was a teenager. I think she was Maybe by that time, she was 14, just turning 14 when I started learning these. Mm -hmm. So she was like a sophomore in high school. And this is maybe the beginning of her senior year. And I was becoming more sensitive to when I lost a good feeling that it had to do with my thinking rather than my kids. And that my feelings of getting annoyed, irritated, frustrated, impatient didn't have to do with my kids. They were created by my thinking. But sometimes I wouldn't see it like anybody. And I'd get upset and I think it did have to do with her and I'd get annoyed with her, and I'd it'd come out in my tone of voice. And one day I was just so feeling so irritated, and I thought it was because of how she was acting. No matter what I would say to her, when I was feeling good, no matter what I was saying to her, she was coming back upset and critical. And and then I got caught up in my thinking and I became upset and critical. So I'm doing the same thing she's doing. <laughs> but I didn't I didn't see it. I didn't catch it. I didn't realize in that moment, oh, my thinking has changed. Mm -hmm. So I was upset with her. So she goes upstairs and in a little bit I quieted down and then it came back to me what I knew to be true. And I realized I had just gotten caught up in my own thinking and was blaming her for what I was feeling. No matter how she was acting, that's what I was doing. So I said, well, I'll go upstairs and we'll say something really helpful. <laughs> I thought. And I went upstairs and she's on her bed doing her homework and I'm in a good feeling and I'm waiting for something to occur to me to say that would be help. Nothing occurred to me to say. I couldn't think of anything that I didn't think would make it worse. So I just sat down in a chair next to her and she's working. And kids can read state of mind very easily. So they, in your eyes, because your eyes are the windows to your soul, if you're upset, your eyes look different than when you're loving. And your tone of voice is completely different. You can't hide it. You can't hide tension in your voice. So she looks up and she looks at my eyes. She's checking me out. 
People don't even realize they we're constantly checking other people's state of mind. And then she said, she saw me sitting there quietly and I looked pretty safe. She said, Dad, are you meditating? And I said, well, not really, sweetie. I'm just sitting here. And now she hears she's got a sample. Mm. No, I'm not, sweetie. I'm just sitting here. Like You can't fake it. Mm -hmm. And then she writes and she keeps looking up at me. Keeps look, keep checking, and I passed the state of mind test, I guess. <laughs> right. Kids can tell when a parent is safe to talk to and when they're going to jump on you because of their state of mind. And she said, Dad, I'm sorry I was, I've been really upset with you lately. It doesn't really have to do with you. I've been struggling and having arguments with my boyfriend, and you and mom just never seemed to argue, and I thought I would be that way, and I thought when I learned these principles, I would always be calm. And and then we had the absolute best talk about, listen, we're not always calm, and sometimes we say stuff, but we're much more forgiving now that we know it's just thought and it's easier to take responsibility for it. But relationships is where we learn about this. My relation, like I just lost it with you, Nina. And then it became a learning opportunity. And that'll be true for you too. And we just had this really nice, really nice sharing. And that was most of what I learned in the early years were in the context of my kids. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's where I would become impatient, stressed, upset. Come on, stop being that way. Why do you have to be that way? Stop it. <laughs> and I started just catching myself as a thinker. Mm. remembering that I have well-being, all I have to do is relax into it. There's no technique. It's already there. It's built into it. It's just relax and then it'll show up. It's like, then I fell in love with the metaphor. We can get caught up in our thought storm clouds. And when we fall back from our thought storm thinking there's blue sky, which is present moment, and then we can feel the warmth and nourishment coming from the sun, our innate well-being. It, it for a long time was my favorite metaphor because then I could go, oh, I'm just having a thought storm. If I leave it alone, I'll get over it. When I get over it, I'll have clarity. When I have clarity, I'll know what to do that light will shine through my eyes and voice again. I can bring a nice feeling to people. And what really stands out to me in that story now, as you tell it, is that when you were in that good feeling with your daughter, she, and you may have said this, she no doubt began to feel safe enough to be vulnerable then, to t to say what was really going on with her. And of course, before that, if you weren't in that good feeling, she she didn't feel safe. That's right. Yeah. Innocently, I was doing low mood parenting and I didn't know about <laughs> high mood parenting. And my parents and most parents wait until they're upset to try and parent. Right. Yes. Right? Innocently, innocently. And therefore, kids don't feel safe sharing what they're really thinking and feeling especially if they think it would get them into trouble, which, in other words, you would get really upset with them and, and dump it on them. And what I found is when I did was more consistent, coming from a nice feeling, my kids would drop their defenses much quicker, and pretty soon they felt safe sharing anything with me. And as my daughter told me at one point, 
I feel like I can say anything to you and you won't judge me. And if you get upset, you just walk away and come back later when you're not. And we can have a good talk and it works out great. Mm -hmm. That's what I always wanted. I just didn't know that was even possible. Mm -hmm. It wasn't part of my world growing up and the first 14 years of parenting my daughter and then my son. So this was a belief that that was another one of my very, very first insights is if I'm, if I take responsibility for my feeling and take responsibility for what feeling I bring to my kids, if I just wait until I'm in a better feeling and bring that to my kids, no matter how I was parented and no matter how I was raised and no matter what my background and personality is and no matter what my kids are like, I could be a really good parent. It blew me away. That I said, I can. All I have to do is pay attention to my feelings and time it to when I'm <laughs> at my best rather than when I'm at my worst. And I would, I'll be a good parent. And I threw away all my books. I didn't need books on parenting anymore. I mm. parented from a good feeling more consistently, not all the time. I'm human. I would, and then I'd go to my kids and apologize. Say, I lost it. It's not about you. It's me. That's a lesson. And it helped them. And then even when I lost it, they cut me a lot of slack because they knew I was just caught up at that point. They say, Dad, you're just caught. One <laughs> <laughs> time my son came and said, Dad, I got to talk to you, but you got to go take a chill pill because this is important. <laughs> oh, that's great. Isn't that great? Yeah, that's lovely. I, uh, my friend who I'll call, let's call her Laura, she introduced me to the three principles. Hmm. And so when I knew I was going to be talking to you, I asked her if she had any questions for you. And she asked the question about dreams and what, what role you think dreams play for us now. Oh gosh. Before I met Sid Banks, I was very interested in what people said you need to learn to be healthy. And a lot of people said the dreams are the royal road to the unconscious. Mm. So if you work on your dreams, work on your dreams, it's like working on your thinking to make it more positive or working on your behavior to curb unwanted behaviors and behave better. All of psychology was focusing on working on thought content, feeling content, or behavioral content that had already been created. Mm. And so dreams was a, a, a one way of working on yourself. Focusing on the 4% that was created, not learning about the 96% of beautiful, healthy, life-giving, creative energy that's at core and all surrounding us. So I ran dream groups and people would record their dreams. I trained myself to wake up at the end of REM sleep. So I would write by flashlight every night, five full-length dreams during the night. And then the next day, now I have five very long dreams to work on, and I would dialogue with the parts and and work on and draw and do art and and, and act out and talk about. Then I meet Sid Banks, and he said, at every moment, we're experiencing the thoughts that are created in our head in, that, in this moment. And that's true during the day, and it's true during the night. And when I started feeling stress during the day, I no longer had to analyze the content. It was just an invitation to come back to the present. 
And then that thinking, instead of being held and made true in our experience, would fade away, as it always has and always will. When you stop thinking about something, the feelings that thinking is creating is no longer being created. And I said, well, I don't have to work on my thought content during the day. Why would I think I would need to work on the thoughts I have at night? And I got invited to teach at a class at the University of Vermont. And I had been coming for years to talk with the class about dreams. And this time I came in and talked about waking up to the fact of thought and our well-being. And at the end of the class, the teacher said, this has been fascinating. I can see the students are really liking this. But what about dreams? <laughs> and I said, oh, yeah, dreams. That's just a thinking you do at night. <laughs> <laughs> All I know is that I can have a nightmare during the day. Mm. And when we have a nightmare at night and we wake up, we go, oh, thank God it was just a dream. It's not real. Now, when I get upset, it's just a daymare. And when I wake up to the present moment, it's just thought. It's not truth. It's not reality. Just a bunch of ideas. Right? Yeah. You let it, they don't even exist. So they're an illusion. They're like a dream. So now I'm interested in waking up from bad dreams, whether it's during the night or during the day. <laughs> and coming back to the now, which is the doorway to our spiritual well-being, a doorway to everything human beings are looking for. It's the doorway to peace, joy, love. It's the doorway to insights, doorway to inspiration, doorway to motivation, aspiration, clarity, perspective, common sense, solutions to problems, creativity, new and fresh thinking. So Sid would say, this quiet space within is full of beautiful feeling, and that's where we'll find the answer to any difficulty, problem, or question that we have. He says, don't take my word for it. Don't take anybody's word for it. You find out next time you have a problem. If you come back home to this quiet, peaceful, loving center and you bring those feelings into the world, tell me what happens to your problem. Hmm. Find out. This is not intellectual. This is has to be experienced directly. And then you have to intuit the beauty of pure thought, pure consciousness, pure mind as a space within us that's full of creative, loving, wise potential. Don't take anybody's word. Find out. Write down. Drop everything you're thinking and see if you can't find a more peaceful space inside. Instead of looking out, thinking about how bad everything is, drop into this peaceful center that's always there. I call it our drop-in center, Alexander. <laughs> that's great. It's open 24-7. Yes. <laughs> there's no bouncer. There's no admission fee. And you drop into this quiet center and you get free nourishment, soul food. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. I love that. <laughs> That's lovely. So when I feel upset, it's an invitation to drop in. Mm. Drop into the now, drop into this quiet place before the content of my thinking. Don't worry about the content. It's too late. Come, come to what's before that, the presence. If you let go of everything, find out what's still here that doesn't go away. It's not a personality. It's presence. It's awareness. It's a sensing. It's always here. No matter what you're feeling, it's there underneath. Drop into that. Be aware of that quiet and that feeling. Those are hints that we give all the time. Look within, which means drop everything you're thinking. Drop, drop within. Enter this quiet. Be aware of that 
presence, rest in it, be aware of the feeling of presence when you're not thinking, and then bring that feeling into the world, give it away. So there's only one problem human beings have psychologically. We hold on to thought and block love and wisdom. One cure, one solution. Wake up, drop in, find a nice feeling and bring it into the world. That's the one solution to everything. And again, don't take anybody's word for it. You see, I had to experiment for years to, before I had the absolute confidence and certainty that no matter what problem a human being has, even being in a war zone thinking you're going to die, I would not recommend think yourself into an anxious frenzy. Scare yourself to death. That's how you're going to survive. I'd say drop in as best you can. Come back. Be present. And be open to where it makes sense to go without thinking about it. Trust your own wisdom. Trust your own common sense. I've done trainings for people in the Ukraine, calling in from bomb shelters, people in Israel being bombed. And uh, this Sunday, I talked for three hours with Africans escaping the Congo War in refugee camps. Same message. Same message. Everything you're looking for, you can, you already have, and you're not broken and damaged. It's spiritual. And you drop into that space. It's always there. It's energy. It's pure energy. It's spirit. And it's full of energy that uplifts and full of a knowing that's intuitive knowing that's not of the intellect. And it's ordinary. It's ordinary. It's always available to human beings. Everyone has access to universal wisdom. No exceptions. <laughs> no exceptions. You can be smarter than someone, but not wiser. <laughs> we all have access to the sun. Everybody. Mm. It's the same sun for everybody. It's not a different sun. Same sun. Mm -hmm. same blue sky, same weather. Uh, the weather comes and goes. That's how it's the same. It's just the variability of our thinking is our weather. So as we wrap up today, I wanted to point out to people that your book, Coming Home with Natasha Swerdloff, is now available on audiobook. Yes, I'm very excited and, and several different kinds of uh, audio. It's it's on Amazon, it's on Audible, it's on, is it Crisp or a new one I hadn't known about? Oh, okay. Library, it's a library where you can take out books. It's now listed in, in that. Uh, yeah, we're very excited and it's been translated into 10 languages, so it's it's getting out there. Oh, I didn't realize that about the translations. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. two more coming. So we'll have nice. Twelve different translations of it. Yeah, that's great. Well, Dick, and this has just been such a delight. Thank you so much for speaking to me today. So, tell us where you, our listeners can find out more about you. Well, I want everybody to learn these two things. Okay. <laughs> That's all. That's my life mission. Mm. That we're free thinkers, and that when we rest in the now, we have access to well-being that's innate. It's always there, waiting to come out like the sun, waiting for the clouds to part. And that's what I told my daughter when she was sixteen. That's still to this day when I travel around. That's what I want people to know. So I talk about that a lot in my talks. So I have a YouTube channel. So if people want to learn more, that's one way. I would suggest listening to my teacher, Sydney Banks. And Sydney Banks now, there's a Sydney Banks, S-Y-D-N-E-Y, 
B-A-N-K-S. He has a YouTube channel where all of the, a lot of the talks that he gave are available. And he's talking about all of this from a very deep, pure place of just saying, you're a thinker, look within, find a quiet, find a feeling. In that feeling is all the guidance you'll need to live a good life. And he says it so simply and powerfully. And we're a spiritual being, so we can't be damaged. It's not religious, it's spiritual. It's trying to talk about the dynamic energy, which is the foundation of the universe, all life the source of all life. So, I mean, I have a Facebook page. If you want to f follow me there, I have, I have a, a, a website, the number three principles, mentoring.com. But I think the YouTube channel gets right to the heart of the message. <laughs> okay. I will put links to all those things uh, in the show notes at unbrokenpodcast.com. Thank you, Alexandra. Well, thank you so much, Dickon. It's been a delight. Oh, I've thoroughly enjoyed being with you. Good. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. I hope you found the show helpful and uplifting. You'll find all the backlist episodes and show notes at unbrokenpodcast.com. To learn more about how to resolve an overeating habit in a way that's unlike anything else you've tried, get your complimentary copy of my Freedom from Overeating Starter Kit at alexandraamore.com forward slash starter kit. See you next time.